Really glad to be here. There were some abstainers there, and that's all right. You'll get glad, I'm sure. Joy comes in the morning. I'm glad you're here. I hope you brought your Bible today. We plan on using them and using them liberally. When I say liberally, I don't mean we're going to take the word out of context. <laughs> I mean we're going to use the word often. How about that? Praise God. We've been talking about the reality of the kingdom of God in our lives. For those of you that haven't been here, let us, let's just recap a couple of things. First and foremost, Jesus came and introduced something new that the world had never seen, which was somebody who was full of the Spirit at all times. As he walked through the earth, he was initiating something. We see in Jesus' ministry, in those three years of ministry, we see a transition from the old to the new, which was made final by his death on the cross and his resurrection. When he died on the cross, he put an end to the old covenant. He put an end to the, the, the law of sin and death which had bound us. And when he rose from the dead, he initiated and inaugurated a new covenant in him. That's right, that's right. Now that you could argue that that new covenant started with the cross, and I would agree with you. I believe that the victory and the resurrection, that was what gave us that life. And so when Jesus gave us that life, he showed us a new way to live. There are a lot of things when you're reading throughout the Gospels that Jesus says that are quite impossible if it weren't for the fact that he's sending his spirit to us. I mean, you read it and you go, there's no way that could happen. Jesus is telling them, he's telling them that he's bringing a new covenant, right? He's he's initiating a new covenant. And uh, when he's preaching on the mount, he says... Because here we, we say, well, the new covenant, praise God, it's an, it's an end of the law. This is a good thing. But, you know, when he's, he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, love, love the ones that love you, hate your enemies. He says, I'm going to tell you to love your enemies. He says, you might say, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I'm going to say, if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, you, you offer them something else. If someone makes you walk this far, you walk even further. Somehow... We, you know, Jesus seems to be saying uh, in this new covenant, you can do even more than you could ever do in the old. And the truth was the old covenant showed us we couldn't keep God's law. There was no way to do it. We could not do it. We weren't able to do that. And yet in the new covenant, something is different. Something's happened. He has given us and filled us with his spirit. So what we couldn't do before, we can do now. Who we couldn't be before, we can be now. We've been talking about the kingdom of God because wherever Jesus went, it says he preached the kingdom of God. What does that mean? The disciples thought the kingdom of God was going to be when he overthrew the Romans and they'd get their own nation back and, and he'd be the king of kings and he'd rule with a rod of iron. But Jesus says that day's coming, but it's not here yet. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 1, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs that have been determined by God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so this new kingdom that he's talking about is an invisible one. There'll be a day, guys. There'll be a day when Jesus rules every nation. Oh, yes. There'll be a day when he rules with his rod. There'll be a day when the lion and the lamb lay together. The child plays with the snakes and is not afraid. Yes. That day is coming, but it's not here yet. Right now, what we've got is an invisible kingdom. Now, the problem with us is we think if we can't see it, it's not real. But that's not true. This invisible kingdom is more real than what you can see. This invisible kingdom is more real than what you can touch. 
Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. In fact, here's what he did. He preached the kingdom, and everywhere he preached the kingdom, he did some other things too, didn't he? Anybody that had an evil spirit, he cast it out. Anybody that was sick and came to him in faith, they were healed. He raised dead people up. He delivered people from their bondage, not only physical or emotional bondage, but he delivered them from the spiritual bondage, which had kept them down. The Bible says, Peter preached this, that you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Don't you love that phrase? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Then he sends his disciples out, and this is the coolest thing. First, he sends out the 12. Later on, he sends out 70 of them. And he gives them the authority of his name. He says, everywhere you go, you preach the kingdom. Every village you go to, you preach the kingdom. But you don't just preach it, you show them. You don't just say it, you demonstrate it. Because the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. See, as believers, we can have all the fancy words in the world, but if you don't have any authority behind it, if there's no power behind it, it's just words. It's just a philosophy. Jesus sent them out, and he says, everywhere you go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out evil spirits. Freely you receive, now freely you give. So the question I need to ask you today is if Jesus has sent us out as his disciples, if he sent us to preach the kingdom as well, do we expect the same results as they expected when Jesus sent them out or when Jesus ascended and the church started in the book of Acts, or has that all gone away? We got to figure out what the scripture says, right? Because this is an important thing. We have to figure out why Jesus did what he did. Because some will tell you that the only reason people were healed was that Jesus needed to prove he was the son of God. But I'm telling you, those miracles did prove something. They were signs and attesting miracles. That was part of it. But that wasn't the only reason he did it. It wasn't even the main reason he did it. Let me propose something to you. If all Jesus needed to do was prove that he had power. Did you notice the only miracles he did outside of, now he did calm the waves, he did walk on water, but, but the majority of the miracles, those, those miracles he didn't do in front of a lot of people, he just did with his disciples. But the miracles that you saw mostly through the Gospels weren't miracles of showing off, they were miracles of compassion. If Jesus, all he wanted to do, if all that Jesus wanted to do was prove that he was the son of God, you got to tell me, why did he choose to always do it through miracles of healing, deliverance, raising the dead? If all that Jesus wanted to do was prove he was the son of God, why didn't he blow up a mountain? His disciples asked him to, to firebomb a village. He could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> When Elijah was in the Old, Old Testament, Elijah wanted to prove that God was God. He called down fire on an altar. Why did Jesus never do that? Because Jesus was not just showing off. If all he needed to do was prove something, he could have used all sorts of different miracles. He could have done the miracles that, that uh, you saw when, when the Israelites were trying to leave Egypt. He could have turned water into blood. He could have called plagues down. He could have done all these things. What did he do? You see, the miracles that Jesus did did not just reveal his power, but they revealed the nature of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. 
Did you ever notice in Luke chapter 4? In fact, let's look there real quick. Do you ever notice in Luke chapter 4, Jesus lays out his ministry and what it's all about? In Luke chapter 4, he says all these things he's going to do. And, well, let's just read it and then we'll analyze it in a minute. Luke 4, 17 says, In the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want you to stop there for a minute and think about what that means. The Spirit of the Lord is is upon him. That doesn't just mean he's got power he didn't have before. I would imagine if he says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, everything he's going to do with the Spirit of the Lord upon him is what God wants him to do, is the will of the Father. That Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. If the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, it's not only empowering him to do these miracles, but the desire and the heart for the people is there too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, when he said this, it was at the beginning of three years of ministry. So you know he's not talking about a literal year. He's talking about an age. That age began with Jesus, and it still continues today. This is the new covenant he's speaking of. But of course, look at this. As he's telling you what the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do, can we be safe to assume that this must be what God cares about? If that's what Jesus is anointed to do because the Spirit of God is on him, that if that's what, when the Spirit of the God, Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus and Jesus and the Father are one, that obviously this is what he cares about. He doesn't say, I'm going to do all these things to prove something to you even though they will prove something. They were signs. They were attesting miracles that proved who he was. But they didn't just prove who he was because he had the power. They proved who he was because he reflected the character and the nature of God. Look what he says. Here's what God cares about. He cares about the poor. But he doesn't just care that, that they're poor and will keep them poor. He says, I'm going to preach the good news to the poor. He cares about the captives, but he doesn't just say, I'll visit the captives. He says, I'm going to release the captives. He cares about the blind, but he doesn't just say, I'll give them some nice walking dogs. He says, I'm going to give them their sight back. He says, I care about the oppressed, and here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to set them free. This is what Jesus says, I'm here to do. If if there's anywhere in Scripture that you can find his mission statement in his own words, which are really the words of the prophet, which are really the words of God, it's in Luke 4 right here. Here's my mission. Did you know after he proclaimed this, we can safely bet, I would think, now you can disagree with me here, but I would think that he preached something similar a lot of places that he went. Because right after this, right after he preached this message, it says people started bringing their sick to him started bringing their demon possessed to him. Why would they start bringing sick people to him? Because he just laid it out and proclaimed it. This is why I'm here. People heard about it and they said, okay. And as many as came to him were healed. 
Jesus didn't go around door to door knocking on people's houses and saying, let me find some sick people and drag them out. No, he went from village to village telling them, this is why I'm here. And as many as believed said, if you're here to do that, I'm coming to see you. And all those that did that were healed. You know, in his own hometown, it says that Jesus couldn't do any mighty work in his hometown. The reason wasn't because God just didn't want to. It says because his hometown didn't believe in him. And so it says he could do no mighty work except heal a few sick people because of their unbelief. Not because of his lack of will. I want you to think in your mind, those of you who've read the Gospels a few times, analyze in your mind and see if you can find any place where Jesus said, no, I don't want to heal you. Can anybody think of a time? Can anybody think of a time where Jesus passed a sick person and just didn't care about him? Now, there were times where the blind people were saying, hey, hey, and the disciples were saying, shut up, shut up, we're going somewhere. We've all been there. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're, you're holier than me and that's cool. But when I was growing up, I grew up a pastor's son. I got to admit something to you. Pastor's kids, if you don't watch yourself, church kids, I should say, Church kids, if they don't watch themselves, can become hardened in heart because if you just learn to sit there and listen and you never do anything with it, it hardens your heart. Not these guys. But there was a time in my life where I still love the Lord. I, I still love Jesus. I just, uh, to be honest, my dad was a long preacher. Some of you who have been there that long, you know that. <laughs> I mean, you've been, you've been living in a different world here. And don't think it's because I can't preach long. I can, but dad could preach a long sermon. And uh, at the end, say, does anybody need prayer? Well, as a kid, you're saying, that person comes up every week. And you're starting to think, oh, I am so hungry. As a kid, I liked the Pizza Hut buffet. I that season in life has waned a bit. But, you know, at, at, as a kid, I, I just wanted to get their buffet. And I can't tell you how many times we showed up and they go, it's closed. You know, I'd have to share a pizza with my parents that I didn't really like. So I, I'm just being honest with you. I'd sit there on the front row and I'd say, okay. Okay, does everybody need prayer right now? Really? Does everybody need prayer? Really? The disciples show a bit of that attitude. They're on their way somewhere. We are on a mission. And these pesky blind people, these pesky lame people, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind guy at the side of the road starts yelling, and he doesn't know who he's yelling at because he can't see. He just knows Jesus is around. And the disciples say, shh, shh, shh. Be quiet. The master's on his way somewhere. Stop bothering us. And Jesus says, hey, who's that guy? And then the disciples, they pick him up and they bring him to Jesus and say, here he is, we brought him to you. <laughs> we, we figured you'd want to heal him. See, all of a sudden they're teacher's pets. No, <laughs> we were just joking with you, Bart. <laughs> the whole time, we're going to bring you to Jesus. I was just messing with you. They bring him to Jesus and Jesus heals them. There's another time the kids are annoying. Oh, the kids are so annoying. And the disciples say, just get the kids away. Jesus doesn't need bother. He's an important man. And Jesus once again says, let the children come to me. And the disciples say, oh yeah, that's what we were thinking. Here, here, here's a baby. He's kind of spit up on me, but that's okay. I suppose I can get that dry cleaned. 
here in the middle of Galilee. I'm sure I can do that. And everywhere Jesus went, he never said no. Now, he came to the house of Israel. The ministry to the Gentiles, he was to be a light to the Gentiles, but the ministry to the Gentiles was supposed to start with the church after the day of Pentecost. He didn't come to the Gentiles. So when a lady comes to him and says, she's not a Jew, and she comes to him and says, can you, can, can you do this? I mean, I, I got this son, he needs, he needs a miracle. And Jesus says, should I take what I'm supposed to give to the kids and give it to the dogs? Now, that doesn't sound very nice. What he's saying is, I came to the house of Israel. I came for these people. This is why I'm here right now. Should I take time away from them and talk to a Gentile and, and help a Gentile? And this woman says, surely even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. He says, that's a good answer. Your faith has made this boy well. You go home, you see he's fine. He marveled at her great faith. He said, I haven't seen such great faith. Now, even then, Jesus didn't say no. Do you ever see a time, if, if God is, is in the business of, of putting cancer on people or crippling people, can you explain to me why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the express, he says, he's the express image of the invisible God. Can you explain to me why not once in the Gospels did Jesus ever make somebody sick? You have to explain that to me. Because from what I can read, he only went about doing what he just said I was here to do. Heal those that are sick. Release those that are captives. Set free those that are oppressed. Preach the gospel to the poor. That's why I'm here. Seems like God cares about hurting people. Seems like God doesn't just care about them and say they're there and pat them on the shoulder. Seems like he wants to do something about it. The question is, does he still want to do something about it? If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, has that gone away? Let's read the book of Mark, chapter 16. Many of you know where I'm going with this. Mark 16 is so important because he pretty much lays it out in clear language here. In verse 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Everybody's like, everybody likes that verse, right? Everybody knows that verse. Let's read the rest of what he says. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Seems pretty simple, hey? The ones that believe are saved. The ones that don't believe are not. He says, these signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, who are we talking about? Are we talking about those that have already believed up to the point he's saying this? No, I'll tell you why, because the verse before explains it. He says, you're going to preach the gospel to all creation, and the ones that believe you will be saved. And these signs will follow those that believe. When you preach, some will believe and some won't. But the ones that believe, there will be signs accompanying them. And here's what's going to happen. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to be like the snake handlers down south and go find snakes and test the Lord your God because the devil tried to get Jesus to do the same sort of thing. Because the devil can quote scripture quite well. And the devil says to Jesus, doesn't the scripture say, and he quotes from Psalm 91, doesn't he say that he will send his angels to catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone, get on top of this building and jump off. Won't his angels catch you? And Jesus responds with this, you will not, the scripture says, you will not test the Lord your God. So when I read this verse, I don't go pick up snakes and see if it works. Because Jesus laid out an example. You don't just go testing God like that. And yet Paul, when he's preaching the gospel and is shipwrecked, a snake bites him. And all the locals think he's done for because they know this kind of snake. It doesn't take long to die from this kind of snake. And they say he must have been guilty because the God's justice herself has decided that he should die. He shakes off the snake in the fire. He continues on with his business and the gospel is preached. That's how it's supposed to happen. You don't see Paul purposely picking up snakes going, come on, bite me. (laughs) Come on, bite me. You know, he, he goes and preaches the gospel. If this happens, he's fine. So is this talking about us? Because it appears to me that he's talking to believers. And I'm a believer. But once again, it goes back to why did Jesus do the things he did? See, if he did it just to prove something for a time, if it was just a season where he needed to prove something, yeah, like I said, number one, he'd do different miracles. It didn't have to all be healing. It could have killed some people too. That would have proved something. Could have done some fireworks. Could have knocked a mountain into the sea. He said, he even spoke about that. If anyone speaks his mountain, says cast in the sea, it'll go in the sea. Could he have done that? Sure he could have. But he went about healing those who were oppressed by the devil. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we got to know why he did what he did. Because if we know why he did what he did, number one, we'll know if that's still for today. Number two, we'll have the same motivation as Jesus. Because I'm convinced if you say, remember he says, in my name you'll do these things. Did you notice he doesn't say, using my name you'll do these things? In my name you'll do these things. You see, the name of Jesus is not a spell that you cast. It's not an abracadabra. It's not a trick word. And I know we've said, use the name of Jesus. And I agree, speaking the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus has power. But it only has power when you're in his name. That's right, come on now. You can't just go using his name against his own will. That's not in his name. In his name means representing him in his will. The Bible says, if you ask anything in his will, according to his will, you have whatever you've asked for Do you guys remember the seven sons of Sceva? This is why nobody names their kids Sceva these days. That is why. That's the only reason why. In Acts chapter 19, I believe, seven sons of Sceva attempt. Some of you are turning. I didn't say turn there. Bunch of keeners. So these Jewish exorcists went around trying out new spells. See, they had mixed their faith with the Ephesians' way of doing things. Ephesians were full of sorcery and spells. 
So much so that when the first people got born again, they had a bonfire made up of, of, of millions of dollars in today's currency of, of people's spell books that they threw in the fire. Their own, not other people's. These seven sons of Sceva use the name of Jesus like a spell. Like, like a phrase that has a little bit more power. They're not in the name of Jesus. They're just using it. And when they attempt to just use the name, the demon responds to them. They say, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I adjure you, come out. And the evil spirit says to them, I know Paul, and I know Jesus, but who are you? It's the worst thing they could ever hear. Because right after that, that demon tears their clothes off. One guy beats them all up, strips them naked, kicks them out of the house. That's what happens when you're just trying to use his name instead of being in his name. I'm not trying to scare you, but that's what happened to them. There's no power without being in his name. So here's the deal. If I want to, in the name of Jesus, do all these things, I would think if I'm going to do something in his name, I need to have the same motivation he has. I need to do it for the same reasons he did it, right? Otherwise, I'm not doing it in his name. I'm just doing the same things, but for different reasons. I think motivation matters. I'm going to rapid fire some verses at you so you can write these down. You don't have to turn to them, but I want you to read them later, okay? So you know that I'm not just making this up. I got three verses here that are not the only three in the Gospels, but they demonstrate something. I want you to notice the pattern. In Matthew 20, verse 29, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large large crowd followed him, him being Jesus. Two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped, and he called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. What does it say here? Moved with compassion. Something moved Jesus to action. And it wasn't pride, and it wasn't an opportunity to prove something. He was moved with compassion. My Greek friends here could tell you that that word is a word that's way too long for any of us native English speakers to try to pronounce. Right? Do you guys use that word often? You do. I don't even attempt it. It's, it's one of those that, you know, it, it, would, it would demolish a Scrabble game. <laughs> but what it means, what it means is to be moved in your guts, in your inward parts. Something's happening in here. Jesus was moved to the very depth of his being. Something moved him. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Jesus gained some followers out of this, but it doesn't say he was moved with the desire to get some new followers. If we preach the gospel to make the church bigger, we're not preaching the gospel for the same reasons Jesus preached the gospel. If we preach the gospel 
to fundraise. We're not preaching the gospel for the same reason Jesus preached the gospel. If we preach the gospel so that we will raise our stats up and have something to brag about at church, we're not preaching for the same reason Jesus preached. What Jesus did, he did because he loved the people. He was moved with compassion. He did not heal them to grow his group. He healed them because he had compassion on them because he loved them. And if he loved them, don't you think that's indicative that God loved them? As dirty and messed up as they were. Mark 1:40 says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Luke 7, 12. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, now look, there's a large crowd. Does it say when the Lord saw her, he saw an opportunity to prove something to the crowd? Doesn't. It says, when the Lord saw her, he didn't see the crowd. He saw her. We talked about last Sunday how Jesus looked past the demonic oppression and saw a person. Jesus is not looking at the crowd. He's not looking at all the, at all the potential followers. He's not looking at all those that are going to be proved wrong or proved right. He sees her. And when he sees her, he felt compassion for her and said, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Jesus healed this boy. Because it was will of God? Absolutely. But I can't find the scripture. Maybe you can correct me on this, but I sure can't find the scripture in the gospel where Jesus says it's not God's will to do that for you. I can't find the scripture where anybody asked too much of him. Felt compassion on her. Gave her back her son. I, I ask you today, if we proclaim to be the disciples and the followers of Jesus, can we be motivated by anything else than the same motivation that moved him? I told you that I was at a conference a couple weeks ago and a man who'd been very accomplished, planted thousands of churches all over the world, had pastored one of the fastest growing churches in America. Now he's old and doesn't pastor anymore. He's passed off the churches and, and the leadership of these churches to other people and successfully transitioned to that. And in his old age, in this last season of his life, that man stood up and talked to us about the motivation for Kingdom Harvest, the motivation for why we do what we do. And that man who had done all those things and had all those people and had all that success said that the only thing that mattered was that the love of God was working through him and that he had the same compassion that Jesus had. Now, I trust at the end of my life, I'll be able to look back and say, that's what motivated me. 
is remember we said earlier in the service today that anything we do, doesn't matter how big the house is, if it's not built on the foundation of Christ, if it's not built with his material, it won't stand the test of fire. So anything we build that's built for a different reason will not stand. And I've asked the Lord to fill me with his compassion because I'm convinced that if I felt the same degree of compassion for people that Jesus felt, I would see more miracles in my life. If I looked at that person in the grocery store and didn't just say, well, they told me I should pray for this person, so I guess I will. If I looked at them and I didn't just say, well, I know it's what I'm supposed to do. I don't feel like it. But if I looked at them and I felt what Jesus felt for them, I guarantee you something would be different in the way I prayed. I guarantee there'd be more people that I wanted to reach. I guarantee there'd be more power behind what I said. Because I had the same motivation as Christ. As we've grown up, the Bible says grow up into him. Grow up into him, into Christ. Paul says, for this reason I labor and strive that Christ, until Christ, may be formed in you. What does it mean for Christ to be formed in us? I believe that means that there's less of us to be found. What's left at the end of a life of following Jesus is you find somebody that is utterly just just lost in who he is. The book of Colossians says, for our life is hidden in Christ. Our life is hidden in him. The Apostle Paul said, therefore, it's no longer me that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. I'm convinced if we're growing into anything, we should be growing into a place where all that we're beginning to feel is what he feels, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. His motivation becomes our motivation. Now, here's the question. If Jesus had compassion on those people and he healed them, not just to prove something. Yes, it did prove something. Yes, they were signs and wonders for the people. Amen? Let's not say it wasn't. Those signs confirm the word of God. I believe that too. But there's a reason all of those signs were signs of deliverance and signs of healing. Because what he did did not just reveal the power of God. It revealed the character of God. God has not just sent us to reveal his power, but his nature. Some might say to you, miracles ended with the apostles, the the original 12. You're going to have to explain to me why Philip did so many miracles, who was not an apostle, wasn't one of the 12. You might have to explain to me why in the book of James it says, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. They will anoint him with oil. They will lay hands on the sick and the prayer of faith will raise that man up. He doesn't say, if anybody's sick among you, quick, find one of the last surviving 12. I think John's left. Quick, go get him. He's on the Isle of Patmos. Find him quick. We're going to lose this guy. He says, let him call for the elders of the church. Now, that guy is not a Norman, just an ordinary sick guy. That's a guy that can't even come to church. He's really sick. That's probably why he called for the elders and We're going to need some big reinforcement for this guy. (laughs) Because there's probably a reason he hasn't had any victory yet. 
That's another subject for another time. But you have to explain to me why you can't find a scripture in the New Testament that says, someday this will all pass away. 1 Corinthians 13 says there'll be a day when prophecy ceases, when tongues cease, and that day is when the perfect becomes perfect and we see Jesus face to face and we know as we are known. That day hasn't come yet. There will be a day. But until then, we continue doing what Jesus told us to do. I'm asking you if you believe that you've been sent as the 70 were sent. I'm asking you if you believe that you were sent as the 12 were sent. I'm asking you if you believe that you're included in Mark 16 when it says these signs will follow them that believe. I'm asking you if you can get past the times in your life where things didn't turn out just like you thought they would and still believe that his word is his word and it hasn't changed. I can't explain to you why so many blind people have been healed in front of my eyes. I'm not saying I'd lay hands. This was as a kid. I watched, I watched other people do this. I, I saw people that were genuinely just incurable, healed. I can't explain to you how my wife, just, just this past week, her husband goes, or her husband, I'm her husband. <laughs> Let me do the math. Her father-in-law, her dad, my father-in-law. <laughs> I'm new to this country. Um, just figuring out your culture. I've only, I've only lived here all my life. Okay. Her dad, my father-in-law, just went to go see a doctor. And he explained to the doctor how back in his days of drug addiction and abuse, he had contracted hepatitis C. And this doctor did a blood test on him and says, there's absolutely no trace of hepatitis C. He said, yeah, that was because I was healed like 20 years ago. The guy says, that's impossible. You can never be cured of hepatitis C. It will always remain in your blood. He says, Doc, I can only tell you, they knew I had it. I was dying. I'm healed now. There's not a trace left in me. Doctor says, that's impossible to believe. That just doesn't happen. He says, of course it doesn't. But it does when God gets involved. That miracle happened. They were in a church. Now, I'm not trying to bash this church, but they were in a church that said all of that stuff, God could do it maybe, but probably not. They never actually prayed for anybody to be healed as far as I know. And if they did, it was kind of that multiple choice. God, if you want to, do it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, it's not how Jesus taught us to pray, but right. it's how they did it. One day, I know you've, I've told you this, but I, I like telling you, I like bragging to my in-laws. One day, Tia's mom, who so sick she couldn't go to church anymore, couldn't go out in public because she's so sensitive to chemicals, even somebody with a faint scent of shampoo would send her in extreme pain. They had a special section for her in church, and pretty soon that wasn't good enough. They had told her, if you stay home on Sunday, make sure you don't watch this guy on TV. <laughs> oh, like a good girl. She skipped over any time he came on. It was a preacher, a pastor from Seattle. She'd skip him. She noticed he'd get a few words in before she'd skip the channel. And it was always Scripture. She says, if he just keeps preaching from the scripture, why are we so afraid to listen to this guy? Mm-hmm. So one day, she checks around. Nobody's watching. 
She listens. And this guy tells her that Jesus still heals today. She goes out on a limb and believes it. And she's healed from something that kept her from being in public, kept her from going to church. She goes back to church because she can now and tells him this is what the Lord has done. The pastors say, stop telling people that. Quit it. You know, a good pastor might say, hey, this is good. Tell more people this. This pastor says, stop it. So they say, I guess we're not welcome here. Let's go somewhere else. They go somewhere that believes this. One day, David says to the pastor, he says, says, pastor, I got to tell you, the meds I've been taking to hold this hepatitis C at bay aren't working anymore. And I don't know how to tell my wife. Now, David was a little bit slower. He'd tell you this. He's a little bit slower in coming along on this belief than Sherry. He says, I don't know how to tell my wife. Can you come with me and we'll tell my wife? The pastor says, come on, let's go together. And before the service, as far as I know, it was either before the service or after the service, but I know the spot in the church where they went and they came and they gathered together and said, here's what we're going to do. The pastor and his wife joined hands with them and said, we're going to pray right now. We're going to see what God does. And they pray. And David goes back to the doctor and the doctor says, I can find no trace of hepatitis C in your blood. That's a pretty big deal. Now, there might be some weird explanations why something turned out differently than we thought, but there's no medical explanation why things like that should happen. My wife was just a young preteen girl, got so fired up. She, was, she, was, she had dietary restrictions, things she couldn't eat without getting sick. She said, if you can heal my parents, you can heal me. Goes ahead and eats the things she can't eat. Now, I'm not telling you all to do this. <laughs> you better know you're healed, right? You do it in faith. She goes and eats these things. She's fine. She's got a skin condition that doctors can't fix. She says, if God heals that, God can heal this. This little girl is all of a sudden full of faith, getting healed all over the place. Skin condition goes away, which is important for a teenage girl. I say all this to say, to tell you this, that these miracles have been a part of our lives. Now, you might be able to say, well, what about grandma so-and-so where this happened and this didn't happen? And I'll say, I'm sure God's got an answer for that. But now you've got to explain to me why all these people are getting healed. I would tell you the reason is, is because Jesus still cares about the same things he cared about then. It is about demonstrating his power. Now, let me ask you another question. We're asking a lot of questions today, aren't we? Do you know Jesus asked more questions than anyone else in the Bible? And he's the one who had the answers. Maybe questions aren't a bad thing. Let me ask you another question. Even if Jesus didn't care about those people and all he wanted to do was prove that he was the son of God, prove he was who he was, don't you think we'd still need that today? In a day and age where atheism has taken a militant stance and a day and age where people say science has all the answers but, but it's proven to us that God doesn't exist. In a day and age where we preach the gospel and people are so inoculated to it, they think they know it but they don't know it. Don't you think today the kingdom must be demonstrated as well? Don't you think today that signs and wonders must confirm the word of God? Even if 
Even if Jesus didn't care about the people, we still need the demonstration. But he does care about the people. And I'm telling you today, if we could have that same inward moving that Jesus had, we'd see the miracles too. I've seen it when we've gone over to the Philippines. You see it when you go up into the northern reserves. You see it when you go to Africa. And I want to see it in North America. And I'll tell you why we haven't seen it so much in North America is because we get so skeptical of everything. We're so skeptical because we've been raised with commercials that lie to us. We've been raised with shucksters. Is that what it is? Shysters? Hucksters? Whatever. Charlatans. (laughs) That lie to us. And so anybody that claims something that seems too good to be true, we say it is. And we're just like Jesus' hometown. We're full of unbelief. But what cures unbelief? The word of God. Hearing the word. And faith comes by hearing the word. And if we'll preach the word, we'll demonstrate the word. Amen? I'm telling you, God is bringing a revolution again. There is a third reformation. Many, many preachers have said this, that we're in the midst of a third reformation where believers of every stripe are realizing that we're all the priesthood now. We always were. Jesus made us a royal priesthood, a nation of kings and priests. The Bible says that. Where we realize it doesn't just have to be a man with a microphone that lays his hands on us, but every believer can see signs and wonders. People are waking up to it. And Canada's ripe for this. Canada's ripe. Let's stop saying we got to go across the world to see miracles. Did you know those places we used to go are sending missionaries to us? People in Africa coming here. People in the Philippines coming here. People in China coming here and saying, you guys need the gospel. Well, they're not going to do it alone. And we're waking up. We're waking up again. We're waking up to believe that the early church was still the church. The early church is not a different church. It's just this church in an earlier time. And Jesus is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this. Let me read this to you in John. You can read with me. In John chapter 14, in verse 7, if you had known me, You would have known my father also, which tells us that if we want to know what God's like, we have to look at Jesus. If we want to know what God cares about, we got to look at what Jesus cares about. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. It's enough for us. This is a different Philip than the Philip that went to Samaria and saw those miracles in the book of Acts. If you want to find out why that is, look at Acts 7. Philip was one of the new guys that got drafted. This is a different Philip. He says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I not been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? So that means every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he was experiencing the same thing that the Father was experiencing. He felt what the Father felt. And God is eternal. God is not held and bound to a season of time. He doesn't change. You say, well, if God doesn't change, where do we see this compassion in the Old Testament? Oh, you see it. Well, what about the times where all those people are wiped out? What's different? Has God changed or have we changed? 
I'll tell you what's changed. Jesus changed the game because the one thing that was keeping us from God was sin. And Jesus has borne the sin. Do people still sin? Yeah. Do people still go to hell? Yeah. But Jesus came to save them. And even, even while they are still sinners, he demonstrates his love for them. That comes out of 1 John, which means even dirty, rotten sinners like us, when we were, before we were born again, we saw miracles, we saw healing. All of this because Jesus was demonstrating his love while we were yet sinners. But here's what it says. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. What's that saying? Every miracle was not just Jesus, the nice guy in the Trinity. It was God. It was the Father working through the Son, through the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says this, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Hey, if you're not going to believe what I say, believe the miracles. Then he says this, and this is a powerful thing. Truly, truly, the literal language, he says, amen, amen. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to the Father. What does that have to do with anything? He's about to explain it. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says this. Here's when he said the reason you'll do all these things is because I go to the Father. He's about to explain why that is. He says, when I go to the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. In other words, the reason you're going to do greater works is because I'm going to my Father and I'm sending my Holy Spirit and he will fill you. And the things I did, you'll do, and even greater works will you do. Thank God for this. I've become convinced that Jesus cares about hurting people. I become convinced that he doesn't just want to give them a band-aid. He wants to heal them. I become convinced that the word of God is not meant to just be demonstrated by words, but with power accompanying the words and signs and wonders confirming the word. I become convinced that God likes to use simple people to do extraordinary things. I haven't become convinced this merely by experience, although experience says a lot. I've become convinced because of the scripture. Because if Jesus said it, I sure believe it. We need to cross the line from skepticism into belief. Are there fakers? Can I be honest with you? There are a whole lot of fakers. There's fakers, there's scam artists, there's, as we said before, charlatans. There's those that put on a show to make a buck. But don't let the counterfeit pervert the original. Mm -hmm. Satan is not a creator. He's a perverter. Everything that God does, Satan copies and perverts. So there will be those that say, I'm a healer. The scripture says there will be false prophets and false teachers. 
And the world will tell you, everyone that says Jesus still heals is a fake. And I'm telling you, that can't possibly be true. Don't let the fakes ruin the real for you. There's counterfeit $100 bills. You don't stop using money. Don't let the fake spoil the real for you. If there are fakes, God will deal with them. But as for you, believe Jesus. Follow Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If your eyes have been on people, you've had the wrong focus. Put your eyes on Jesus. And Jesus never was a fake. And he said this, freely you've received. Now freely you give. And the world will know. It was a blessing to me to grow up going with my dad to places that couldn't possibly give us anything we needed. Barely offered us any thank you and see him lay down his life for people that had nothing to offer. Spend our money to get there. Give our money once we got there and see signs, wonders, and miracles when we left. You know what that said to me as a kid? Said to me, this isn't about us. And there might be fakers that are putting on a show so they can gain something. But a real minister does what Jesus did. You lay down your life for someone. Is it wrong for, for someone to take up offerings? No, it's not. Is it wrong to see someone blessed by the Lord? No, it's not. You shouldn't look at everybody that's been blessed by God and say they must be a scam artist. Uh, it's not yours to judge that. But I'm saying as a kid, that showed me something. Every time somebody said, oh, that's a fake. Oh, they're taking advantage of people. I knew it wasn't true. Because I saw it with my own eyes. I saw a man do it for no other reason than he loved the people. And I remember thinking as a kid, I remember thinking, why do we keep doing this? Dad, why do you keep doing this? There were times I just couldn't understand it. I said, Dad, I mean, I, I didn't ever say this directly to him because I, I don't want to get in trouble. But I remember thinking, why? Why? I mean, I, I was there when people sat in our living room and offered him big churches to pastor with a big salary. And he said, no, this is where God called me to these people. I remember thinking, why do we keep going to these places? And then something happened to me. One day, the Lord filled me with the same love that my dad had. And I remember thinking, there's not a thing in heaven, earth, or under the earth that could stop me from going and doing what God sent me to do. And I don't care what I get from it because I love these people. And I understood for the first time in my life why he did what he did because he'd been filled with the love of God. And Jesus loved these people. And because Jesus loved them, he loved them. And now I loved them. And it changed my life forever. And what I'm asking you today is to believe that the same Jesus 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus today. And the second thing I'm asking you is that you would allow him to perform surgery on you, to fill you up so that you would, and I, boy, it will be annoying it will bug you because it's way more convenient to walk past those that need him. 
It's way more convenient to have your focus set on your own thing and be able to pass everybody else by. It will be inconvenient to be bothered with the feelings of Jesus. It will mess your routine up. It will mess your schedule up, but it will change your life forever. And what I'm asking you is if you'll let God fill you with his compassion, if you'll let him fill you with his love, and if you will expect that the fruit of that compassion is not simply a pat on the back, but that you'll see miracles. That as you proclaim the kingdom, you will also demonstrate the kingdom. And yes, it'll show the, the power of God, but it'll also show the heart of God. Jesus cares for hurting people. Jesus heals hurting people. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're in the midst of the beginnings of a stirring of a sort of revolution. It's not starting here. It's already started all over the world. And we understand the lines are being drawn not between races, not between classes, not between nations. The lines are being drawn between belief and unbelief. Scripture shows us that in the same room, Jesus said, you could have two people that both hear my word and one believes and does and the other doesn't. And the one that acts on what I said is like a man who builds his house on the rock. And the one who doesn't is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And only one of those houses will be left standing when the storm comes. So it's completely plausible that there could be 100 people that hear the same message and 50 believe and 50 don't. Maybe 75, 25, I don't know. But don't just assume that God will do something that will sweep you up and you'll have no choice but to believe. For the Pharisees saw people raised from the dead and still didn't believe. Abraham said to the rich man, if your brothers didn't believe the law and the prophets, what makes you think they'll believe a man coming back from the dead? Don't assume that just by being around when God does something, it'll change your mind. Instead, Choose to believe because he said it. Choose to believe because he promised it. Believe now. I'm going to ask something. I, I know that there are those that um, couldn't even be here today because they've been fighting a fight. Do you know, just because someone's fighting a fight doesn't, doesn't prove that God's displeased with them, doesn't prove that they don't have faith. The Apostle Paul left his, one of his buddies, Trophimus, left him in Miletus fighting a battle for his life. The Bible didn't tell us what happened, but we can assume he lived. Same thing happened to Epaphroditus. He was sick for a while and then he got healed. So sometimes a believer may have to fight for a few days. It doesn't prove anything. It just means they had to fight a battle. Well, I believe it's our responsibility as believers to fight with them. So in a in a while, we're going to pray. In just a couple minutes, we're going to pray for those that weren't able to be here today and pray that the Lord would raise them up 
And if some of you need to go to their house and the hospital bed or wherever they are and pray for them, then you do that. But right now, here's what I'd like to pray. And I, I won't lay hands on you for this because this is something you must ask of the Lord. But those who have understood that there is a deficit of compassion in your heart. Now, that sounds bad when I say it. It sounds like you're not a compassionate person. You could be the most compassionate person in the room and still say, I need more of that. Here's how you know. Here's how you know that you need this from God. If while we were speaking and reading the word, your heart was stirred and stretched and you said, I want that. That's how you know the Holy Spirit was tugging on your heart. You've got to learn in every message the Holy Spirit will deal with people. And if you sat there and as you're hearing the word, the more you heard it, the more you were stirred, then I don't want you to leave this room without asking of the Lord that which he's promised. So if that's you, would you come up and we're going to pray together and we're going to trust that God would fill you with his undeniable, irrepressible compassion. We don't just seek the work of Christ. We seek the heart. We seek his motivation. I want to be motivated with the same motivation that Jesus was motivated with. Guys, I don't know about you, but if the scripture says that he was moved in his inward parts, that from even his guts he felt this compassion, I have felt that at times, but I haven't felt it near as frequent as I see Jesus feel it. Do you know for all the miracles in the Gospels, John, when he wrote his Gospel of John, he wrote at the end that if we wrote everything that Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it. So as many miracles as you see Jesus do in the Gospels, he did so many more. And as many times as you see him moved with compassion, you know there's a lot that you didn't see. I want that feeling. I know it's more than a feeling, guys. I know faith is more than a feeling. But I want to feel that. I want it to be so big in my spirit that my body feels it. I want it to be so big in my spirit, my soul, that my body echoes it and says, you need to stop. I want to be so distracted by him that I don't, have, I don't feel the need to finish what I plan to do with my day. I want to be so caught up in him that my schedule is turned upside down. I want to be so caught up in him that there might be those around me that are like the disciples that say, we got somewhere to be, why are you stopping? Can I tell you a quick story while you're here? I'm sorry. I remember walking with my brother-in-law. He was not my brother-in-law at the time, but he was going to be my brother-in-law. Walking with Matthew through the streets of Baltimore. What I saw in Baltimore, I'd also seen in D.C. And I'd also saw on the streets of Philadelphia that, that where my brother-in-law, we would walk and we'd have somewhere to be. And I was always about being there on time. I hate being late for anything. And we had tickets and we're on, you know, we got to catch a train. And I would see Matthew. And you never know when it was going to happen. 
but I saw him walk and then just stop. And where others would throw a coin or throw a bill at somebody on the side of the street, Matthew would sit next to them. He'd discreetly place some money in their hand and he'd just sit with them. And I'd see him begin to talk with them and I'd see him begin to pray with them. I said, God, I don't understand that. I want to know that. I want to have that same compassion that he has that no matter where, it doesn't matter where we're going. It doesn't matter if we miss our train. This person matters more than that. God, we want that. Lord, I don't know if we have an eloquent prayer to offer other than this, I want that. Lord, I want that. Lord, I want to be moved with your compassion. I want to be touched by your heart. I want to be filled with your love. God, it is... As a preacher, I sometimes wish I had gotten there ahead of everybody else so I could say, this is what I have. Don't you want it too? But I'm with these people. I want it too. I, we've only tasted. We've only scratched the surface. I want just as much that you would fill us with your compassion, that we'd be motivated and moved by the same things that moved you. And yes, that we'd see signs and wonders and miracles, but they would be because we love like you love. And we can't stand to see somebody who's been oppressed by the devil that, that you want free. We can't see him be oppressed another day. That the lost would be found, that the blind would see, that the lame would walk, that the oppressed would go free in Jesus' name. And the gospel, yes, would be preached to the poor. Let's lift our hands right now and say, Lord, fill me with your compassion. Saturate me with your love. Replace my thoughts with your thoughts. Let me feel what you feel. Fill me with you. You must increase and I must decrease. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just let him, just take a moment, let him wash over you. Let him wash over you. That same Jesus is the same Jesus today. I dare you, I dare you, I dare you to jump over the edge and believe it. I dare you to jump. I dare you to believe him. I dare you to expect. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is there anybody here who's never received Jesus? Is there anybody in the room that's never received Jesus? If that's you, would you lift your hand real high? And you'd like to receive Jesus today? I just want to make sure that we've all given the opportunity. I don't see any hands going up. So I'm going to trust that we're all believers in the house today. I urge you to go and seek this out. I urge you to go and look in your own Bible. If today you've had that same skepticism, I don't judge you for it, but I urge you to seek the Lord. Don't seek the internet. Don't go on YouTube and see what everybody says because you'll go just confused with more opinions than you started with. Pick up your Bible and begin to read about Jesus. 
Go through the book of Acts and read how the church operated. Read through the epistles and see the heart of God. Let God speak to you through that. Amen? Amen. The Bereans, the scripture says, were more noble because they searched out what they heard and searched for themselves to see if they were true. They didn't search critically, but they said, if he, if he preached it, I'm going to check it out for myself. I encourage you to do that. These aren't my words. You don't need to believe my opinion, but I do want you to believe what Jesus says. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Lord, we're coming to you right now on behalf of those that could not be here themselves. You know their names. Lord, I know viruses and various illnesses seem to be sometimes at certain seasons perceived as normal. Sometimes as Canadians, we say that's just that time. Lord, I believe and ask you right now, you said the prayer of faith would raise the one who is sick up, would restore them to health. So I ask, Lord, that you would raise them up right now in the name of Jesus. And though we can't physically touch them at this moment, I, I know there's no distance in your spirit. And, and with the faith that the centurion had, with the faith that, that that Syrophoenician woman had, when they said, if you just say the word, you don't even have to come to my house, but if you say the word, they'll be healed. Yeah. Say the word. We ask you to heal them and raise them up. We say be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you get a chance, hold them up in prayer. Hold our team in Africa up in prayer. Prayer changes things. Amen. I wish I had time to spend spending time talking with you all. Normally I would. You know I would. Uh, I've got something I need to get to right after the service. So please forgive me if I slip out the back. It is not because I don't love you. I love you greatly, and I know you guys are going to have a great time together. Um, so if, if you didn't get a chance to say something, I'm sorry. We will connect soon. Uh, but I want you to know that there is a meeting. I want to remind you, those that are um, serving in the nursery, the toddler's ministry, or if you'd like to, there is a meeting right after the, well, a little bit after the service. We'll give you some time to fellowship, all right? And then uh, we'll gather up here and uh, there'll be a meeting. And if you're part of that ministry, we want you to be there for it. And we're just going to go over some things because I believe that ministry begins when someone comes to church, doesn't matter how old they are, we're ministering to them. So if there's a three-year-old that needs Jesus, if there's a three-year-old needs to know God loves them, I'm thankful that there's somebody down there that's ministering to them. It is a ministry. It's not babysitting. It's a ministry. Okay, sure. Amen. Amen. So I'm thankful for you. We appreciate you. I want to remind you that there's home group on Tuesday night. Brent and Shereen's house at 7 o'clock. You need directions, you get directions. I encourage you, please talk to somebody you don't know. I mean, there's all these people you know well. You get to see them all the time. Talk to people you don't know. Everybody kind of find someone that you don't know, you, don't, you haven't seen for a long time. Get together, talk to one another. And uh, if you need to, pray for one another. The Bible says pray for one another that you may be healed. So I believe that. All right? God bless you. We love you very much. Have a great week.